Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. We are going to be um, starting in the book of Jonah this morning. And you may wonder, why did we spend so much time reading in Matthew if we were going to be studying the book of Jonah? And um, because as I was working through the text and uh, I just kind of felt that this is kind of where I wanted to go, I want to kind of set the, the tone here a little bit. And I thought that, you know, one of the things that, that the book of Jonah brings out is, is many things. In fact, I will tell you that as we kind of talk through the book of Jonah, there are multiple opinions on it about uh, the themes of it. Why was it written? Was it uh, fiction? Was it... Was it actual history? Um, I'm going to tell you what I think on some things. Uh, I would encourage you to study the book of Jonah. It's like I said, it's really only two pages in most Bibles and four, four, four chapters. Uh, and so one of the things, though, that come of the themes that are in there is, is repentance. Obviously, there's a, this place called Nineveh, this, this city, a very large city, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. This very large city um, is a pagan city, is a Gentile city. And, and obviously very, very sinful. And so God calls out to this, what we call a minor prophet, and I'll explain that here in a second, but this man named Jonah, and he tells him to go to this city and to call them out on their sin, to make their sin known to them, and tell them basically that judgment is coming if they don't repent. Now, Jonah, as any good prophet would do, turns and goes the other direction flees completely. I'm going to give you the overcap of the whole book right here, right? In fact, not only does he flee, but we'll see that he flees to the farthest point in the world at that point that he can get to. Why does he do that? Well, we'll look at that later. We're not 100% sure. We can have some thoughts on that. We can make some assumptions here. So there's this, this picture of disobedience, not only in the people of Nineveh, but also in Jonah the prophet. And then we see the sovereign hand of God at work and basically say, Jonah, you're not going to do that. You're going. And he makes him go. You ever felt like that sometimes? You don't want to do it. You know God wants you to do it, and you want to go the other direction. You just want to flee as far as you can. You want to put your hands up above your ears and say, I can't hear you. Right? Now, I will tell you that sometimes God will let you go for a while. But I'm telling you, if he wants you to do that, you will do it at some point in your life. I had something many years ago, I've shared it with you, I won't go into the details, but I, I sinned greatly when I was in high school, uh, well, lots of things, but this particular thing, and um, it was 25 years, and I felt it all along that God was saying, you're going to go and you're going to confess to these people, and I said, no, I'm not. I don't need to. You've forgiven me. I'm not going to do this. I don't need to do this. It's going to ruin relationships. And every year or two, it would come over me. And finally, one day, about 10 years ago, it was so strong that I buckled and I went and I confessed. If God wants you to do it, he's going to move you to do it. So, and then there's some other themes in here that we'll get to. But, but really, it's God's grace. I mean, think about this for a second. Now, I'll share with you that this time that we think this was taking place was probably about 750 or so B.C. 
So that means 750 years before Jesus comes, there's, there's this culture, the Assyrians, right? They were hostile enemies to Israel. I mean, brutal enemies. They were a brutal people. In fact, even today in some of the archaeological things and the, the things, the drawings that they see, um, there was pictures of, of executions and all sorts of things that I won't even go into. They were just brutal. And so you can imagine a couple things here. God is asking Jonah, a Jew, to go to his enemy, basically, his, that has been brutal, and tell them to repent because the wrath of God is going to come on them if they don't. And do you think Jonah wants to do that? Do you think Jonah at that moment is agreeing with God and saying, oh, yes, I want these people to come to repentance because I don't want them to suffer your wrath, Lord? No. And we're going to probably see some themes in the next few weeks of our own hearts, times where we want justice, but God wants mercy. He wants grace. And we have to understand that, and we have to yield to that, and we have to give in to that. And that's just a challenge for us, just as it was for Jonah. And so there's going to be lots of themes we're going to look at. Now, Jonah, you may have heard of, um, when we read Scripture, the Old Testament, uh, obviously the Old Testament, for those you may not know, is everything before Christ, before Christ came onto the earth, before God took on flesh, is the Old Testament, the law. And we look at the Old Testament in different genres, uh, types of books, types of writings. Uh, there's historical books. There's prophetic books. Um, there is uh, books of wisdom, like Proverbs and things like that. Here we talk about the minor prophets. And so you say, and there's major prophets. And so there's 12 minor prophets. And I won't read them all, but, but obviously Joel and, and Jonah and, and these guys, right? So what makes one minor and one major? Why, why, do, we, why do we do that? Really, it's, it's, it's not that they're less important. It's the fact that God um, has given them something more locally, more... Um, narrow in scope and so and it's usually the the book or the letter is shorter much shorter like i said jonah is very short four little chapters on two pages and then there's books like isaiah and daniel and things like that that are very long and and very um far-reaching theologically over all sorts of things and usually a minor prophet is very focused on something that's taking place at that time and so just kind of give you an idea what that's going to look like so who writes this book? You would think it's Jonah, right? It's, he's got his name on it. We don't know. It, it doesn't say. The book has been written in the third person. And so he says, he's talking about Jonah. And so you would say, well, then it can't be Jonah. No, not necessarily. We see all sorts of writings that, that people do that, and they are really writing about themselves. It's just how they're writing so their readers can read it. They're not elevating themselves. They're just wanting to know what get this across. Some historians absolutely believe that it was Jonah. Some historians believe that the book was written not by Jonah, by someone else hundreds of years later. And if you get really into a lot of the study, your head will begin to spin because there's so many opinions out there. In the last hundred years, many modern scholars have begun to, to say, no, it couldn't have been him, and, and no. You know, and one of the reasons, well, you know, who can live in a fish, big fish, for three days? Now, you think about that for a second, and I know for some of us, that's a stumbling block. I've talked to some people, said, well, that's just not possible. And yet, we would say and acknowledge that God exists forever. 
And then he created all things by speaking it. And when we look at the, the galaxies, and there's millions of them, we say, yeah, God did that just by speaking it. Okay, if he can do that, three days in the fish, not a big deal. Right? He splits the Red Sea, and we don't say, oh, no, he didn't do that. That's not real. Now, I will tell you, there are some modern-day scholars that are going back and saying, you know, that, that didn't happen. It was a shallow area. The plagues, raising people from the dead, the resurrection of Jesus, the virgin birth. And so when we go, because I know your mind will go, oh, there's no way that someone can be in a big fish for three days. That's just not possible. It is possible with God. It absolutely is possible with God. Right? And so, so I know that's going to be a stumbling block for you this whole series. When we get to that point, you're just going to think, man, I just can't. I don't know if I can believe that. But yet I just want to show you, you believe all sorts of other things. Well, at least I hope you do. I know I do. And so that's kind of the author. So I will tell you that I'm going to take the stance that I think Jonah wrote the book. I, I think he wrote it. We can disagree on that. That's, that's not a deal breaker. I'm just saying I think that Jonah wrote the book. Obviously, the purpose of the book is varied. Um, you know, when, when you get to theologians, they always want to pin down everything. Well, this is why they did it, and this is why they did it. And sometimes you can just get overwhelmed with that kind of stuff and say, let's just see what it says and see what God uses it. What, what's he saying? And let's look at it, right? We don't have to be all so academic about everything. That's good at times, but we just, what, what does it say? And then finally, this question of rather, like I said, whether it's fictional or historical. Is it, is it a parable? Did it really happen? Uh, did the whole thing really happen, or did it not happen? What, what really took place? Was it some allegory that God was trying to, to have some hidden meaning, to teach somebody something? Maybe to teach the Jews something, right? Because the Jews were unrepentant. You're going to see that in a minute, right? The Jews were always struggling. If you remember the Old Testament, the Jews were always rebellious. I mean, they would be obedient for a while, and then they would turn against God. And so some theologians would say, well... God is calling Jonah to do this to really shame the Israelites because the Gentiles are going to come to repentance, and, and they're not. That's possible. That's a, that's a good theme. I, I understand that. Because let's just take it for face value what it is. So like I said, I believe that it is a historical account. I don't believe it's a, uh, an allegory. I don't believe it's a parable in the past. I believe these things really took place. And I want to kind of dive in here now to Matthew and kind of tell you why I think the largest, the biggest argument that it really took place, okay? So let's look at the text today. Matthew 12, verses 39 through 42. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him. Now this is Jesus having a discussion with the scribes and the Pharisees. And they said, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered an evil and adulterous generation seeks, uh, seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So first, we'll just stop there. So he's just like, we always want something spectacular, don't we? Like we want something that says, well, I'll believe if you do this wonderful, incredible thing. Like I think about that now. You know, there's, there's people that just don't believe in God and, and, and there's, you know, even people in the church that are kind of, well, I would believe if, you know, if Jesus was here or this or, you know, if he raised somebody from the dead. Really, we have a book that, that has 35 different authors that, that accounts for all sorts of prophetic prophecies that have come true, eyewitness testimonies, historical content. We, we see everything. We see the creation. We see DNA. We see all of it. And we want to say, no, I need something more than that. What do you want? 
What is it that would satisfy you? And I'm speaking, you know, kind of rhetorically. I don't know where you're at, but for many of us, like, what is it that we would want that we'd say, oh, I will believe? Look, Jesus came in the flesh and resurrected from the dead, and they did not believe. Right? And this is where we see that, that God is working in his people to call the people to himself, and we have responsibilities to believe. And so what is it that would require you to believe? The fact is you cannot believe without faith. You cannot believe unless God works in you and, and is a gift to you to help you to believe. And, and so this is, this is this picture here. And so they're asking for this. And he's saying, no, if you want that, you're, you're just a crooked generation. You're adulterous. It really means very, very um, rebellious. A lot of times it's very sexual immorality as well. He says, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And so there now there's all sorts of debate, right? What is the sign of the prophet Jonah? What is that? We don't know exactly, but I'm going to tell you that I think it's the fact that he was in the belly of the fish for three days, and then he was delivered out of the fish. So what does it say here? And this, is, this account is also found in Luke, very similar, in the Gospel of Luke. It says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I think some people would say it's the preaching of Jesus, and it could be multiple things. Maybe it's multiple things. But I really think when, you, when it, the simplicity thing is that that is the sign. Preaching is generally never in Scripture looked as a sign. A sign is something that happens, something that they can look to and say, wow, look at that. Okay, the sign is, is that Christ is going to die, be three days in the grave, and raised from the dead. That's the sign. The sign that he's going to give them is his resurrection, his defeating death. That's it. That's what he's going to do. And it will not be enough. People will still have hard hearts and not believe, right? And so that's really what he's saying. And, and he, what he's saying here is, is what, what Jonah, it's like this, what happened with Jonah. He's not, they're not equal. They're not comparing exactly. We don't believe Jonah died in the whale and then came back to life. The scripture doesn't say that. And so it's not, it's not saying both, but Jesus is just pulling something and saying, this is what it's, the sign is going to be like that. It's going to be three days and three nights, and I'm going to come back. And that's going to be the sign. And he goes on there, and he says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repent. Now, so, now let's think what that says. So now we're talking about Nineveh. He says, the men of Nineveh are going to rise up Right? And so what he's saying is, at the very end of time, when there's the resurrection of the dead, the men of Nineveh, the people that lived in Nineveh, are going to rise up, and it says, and condemn and judgment with this generation and condemn it. So what Jesus is saying is, the generation that he's in right now, are not in the first century, they're not believing. He's doing all sorts of things. He's called them an adulterous generation. They want a sign. And what he's saying is, is in the end, when the men of Nineveh from 750 years ago come up in the resurrection, they will condemn you because you have not believed. They have repented and you have not. That's what he's saying. That's, that's a strong statement. Now think about who he's talking to here. The men of Nineveh were Assyrians who wanted to kill the Jews. And he's saying, those people will condemn you because you have not repented. You have failed to repent. He goes on there, and he says, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, right? So here we see how, how important preaching, telling people, Romans 10, how will they know unless someone 
tells them, right? How will someone tell them unless someone is sent? And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What's he saying? He says, they turned with the preaching of Jonah. But something is greater, and I would say someone is greater that's here. Jesus was saying something, like something's better. He was not saying, like, it's me, but it was clearly, it was him. Something better than Jonah is here. He was a prophet, yes. I am the son of the living God. I am God in the flesh. I'm greater. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment. Once again, he's telling the same thing with this generation and condemn it. Now, this was this... this queen that came to Solomon and, and wanted wisdom and, and how Solomon worked with her and, and, and we believe she was faithful there. But it says, for when she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. He's saying not only is he greater than a prophet, not only is he, and he's greater than the, the richest king of all of history. And Jesus is saying, and he's here. Something greater is here. And you're still not doing these. People repented in the past with much less, and here I am here, and you are unwilling to repent. You know, sometimes as I read this, and I think about that first generation, and, and, and I think, man, their hearts were hard, and man, then I look at our generation. And I'm not a world, you know, I don't, but I'm not familiar with everything that's going on around the world and all sorts of places, but I can just look at the United States, I can look at other countries. The human heart is hard. We are rebelling against God. In so many ways. I mean, we have a, a, a sin nature. I understand that. We're by nature children of wrath, as it says in Ephesians by Paul. But, but we now are, are using that rebellion to, to really put things in God's face and say, I'm not doing it. And we're going to look at that here in a second. And so what's your big idea? We finally got there. What's your big idea? God calls everyone to repentance. God calls everyone to repentance. There, there's no way without repentance. The, repentance is the beginning. God grants that to us, gives us faith. We come to him and we acknowledge that we're a sinner. We say, I can't do this. I can't, be, I can't live perfectly. I acknowledge that I'm internally flawed and I want you to save me from myself. Save me from my sin. Save me then ultimately what we're being saved from the wrath of God. We're not really being saved from our sin. We're being delivered from the wrath of God. We're being, but our sin is being dealt with, right? That's really what he's saying. And, and God calls everyone to repentance. So let's look at Luke, the gospel of Luke, verse 20, chapter 24, verse 45 through 47. This is going to look at repentance. It says, then he opened their minds. He's talking to the, about the apostles here. And he opened their minds to the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. There's several things that we could talk about there. First of all, that that repentance must be proclaimed. In other words, somebody needs to tell them about sin and who God is, right? This is this whole process of sharing the gospel and revealing who Christ is. But, but even more than that, this is not just that it should be proclaimed. It should be proclaimed to all nations. In other words, there isn't 10 ways or 100 ways to come to Christ, to come to, to God. There's one way, and it will be proclaimed, and it must be proclaimed to everyone because there is only one way. 
Acts chapter 4, I believe it says, you know, there's no other name which anybody can be saved except the name of Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. And yet that, that is so hard for people to hear. I did a memorial yesterday. There was about 10 people here in the church, and, and I don't know, you know, I didn't know their spiritual background, but I just shared that truth. That there's no other way. There's no other way. And, and, you know, even when I'm, sometimes I'm preaching it or I'm telling people that, even I, like, oh, I know this is hard for them to hear. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's, heck, it's hard for me to hear. Sometimes my flesh doesn't want to believe. It's like, surely there's, there must be, you know, there's a billion Hindus. They're all wrong. Yes. And I know if you're like me, you're like, wow. Yes. Satan is a liar and a deceiver. And that's why the gospel and repentance must be proclaimed to the, all the nations. All the nations. Right? Beginning in Jerusalem, which is where they were. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient towards you. Oh, but don't we praise God for that? Not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God wants us to come to repentance. He, he's patient. He, he waits. He wants us to come. Romans chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. He says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that's called hypocritical. You're a hypocrite, Right? It's to get the, the log out of your own eye before you deal with the splinter in someone else's. That's part of that parable. That you will escape the judgment of God? So, like, you think that because you're better than someone else and someone's worse than you, that you're going to escape the judgment of God? That's what he's really telling them. He says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? So the God is loving, and that's what we do in our world today. We presume on his love. We presume on his goodness. And we just say, well, surely, I don't know all the answers. I don't really know about Jesus. I don't really, I want to do what I want, but I'm going to presume on his love and his greatness and that whatever, it'll be okay. Because I'm better than those people, clearly. Those people are probably going to hell, but not me. And it's really what, we don't necessarily think through it exactly that logically, but that's what's going through our head. And this is really what Paul is trying to say here. But he says, not knowing that, God, that the, God's kindness, right, that grace and that mercy, that love that we see every day, is meant to lead you to repentance. The, what leads us to a brokenness and a, and a turning away from our sin is, is not the law. It's not the harshness of God. It's the love of God. It's the thing that God pours out on us, and it's so overwhelming for us, and we say, oh my gosh, how could you forgive me? How could you love me this way? How could you save me in the state that I'm in? And because he does that, it leads me to repentance. I want so badly to worship a God that would do that for me. And that's what he's trying to get across here. So repentance is something that God is drawing us into through his love and his kindness and his grace. But because your hard and impenitent heart, impenitent heart are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He brings it back around and says, look, if you, if you don't, 
Repent because of your hard heart. You're just storing up wrath. And God is patient, but there is going to be a day when that is going to come due and the judgment is revealed. So, as I've been thinking through this, why, and, and, and there's, there's lots and lots of reasons. I'm just going to give four quick ones that kind of came to my mind. Why do people not repent? I mean, like, and I want to say something about repentance here. And, and we could go a whole message on this, but I'm just going to be very high level. So repentance is, is um, kind of multifaceted in the sense that when a believer, when God um, brings them to life, when God, uh, we, we would call, regenerates them and, and justifies them and, and gives them the gift of faith and the gift of repentance, and they repent. And we are in Christ. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Praise God. When that happens, that repentance kind of, and what God is doing, covers our entire life. However, even as Christians, we should live a life of repentance. Not because it's going to save us. Christ has saved us. His work has saved us. But because it's an act of worship. It's leading us. His kindness, his mercy, and his grace are leading us to a life of repentance. It means that on a daily basis, we want to look at our life and we want to say, this is what's going on in my life. It's not good. It's not holy. It's not right. It's not honoring to God. And I want to turn from it. And so that's what repentance means. It means turning from something, a way of living, and you realize it's not what God would want, and you turn from it, and you go the other direction. It's not enough to just say, I'm sorry, but I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. That's not repentance. Repentance means turning, to repent from something. But So I just want to say that even as believers, when, when we struggle with repentance, because we're not perfect in that. None of us are perfect in repentance. We all have sins that we're struggling with, but, but I want you to understand that that does not mean that then we're not saved, because we're not relying on our perfection, our good works, our perfect repentance in that sense to be able to save us. We're relying on Christ. But that doesn't mean then that we cannot live a life still of self-examination because we want to grow in holiness. The Bible calls that sanctification. We want to grow in that. And God is working even in that to bring us, to shape us into his image, right? Into the image of his son. So, but some high-level things. So why do people not repent? I would say the first reason that people don't repent is that people refuse to acknowledge God. So there's no need for repentance because they don't acknowledge who God is. They just don't even acknowledge it. Whether you're an atheist or some other worldview of something, you just are not acknowledging the God of the Bible, that there's no moral... Um, Justice. There's no more moral standard that, that God has set that, that we need to be able to, to answer for. You know, when we, we look back in, this, in 2 Kings, I'm just going to pick a few things from the Old Testament and the New Testament here on each one of these a little bit. But in 2 Kings 17, verses 14 through 15, it says, But they would not listen, but were stubborn, their father, as their fathers had been. Who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false. So this, this is taking place obviously all through history. Ever since man has, has been brought to the earth, we have rebelled. People have not believed. Just, they just don't even believe. I was talking to some people recently. They just, they just have a hard time believing that there's a God. Um, 
and, and Satan is doing everything he can um, to be able to further and foster that belief. And I'm, I'm not going to chase this, but I just, I just want to touch on this. And then you guys can all have great conversations at lunch about your pastor um, yeah. saying something like this. So a few weeks ago, a month ago, and I'm not having an opinion on this, so don't think I'm... Congress had hearings for three people that are testifying that we have alien crafts and biologics, if anybody watched that. Now, it's, it's not, this message is not about that. <laughs> However, I want you to think about something. One of two things. One, that's true, and that has implications, obviously. Two, it's not true, right, for various different reasons. Because if it's not true, that means our whole entire government is making up on a lie, not just our government, but lots of governments. Or it's true, but not the way that the government thinks it's true. So what do I mean by all that? And once again, you can talk to me after this. Let's say that Satan is doing something to cause us to think that that is true. Because if that is true, which I don't believe it is, that I don't believe there's little green people coming from other galaxies, just so you're clear today, I'm, then that precedes the Bible, and God is not God. Right? I mean, think about, think about the culture right now and what people believe. I would argue that many people believe that there are aliens more than they sometimes believe that God exists. And if the enemy can get people to think that way for whatever reason, we're deceived and there's a delusion. And we don't look to God any longer. Our hearts are hard. They want what they want. All right. Acts chapter... See, I'm just... Boy, that's going to have lots of lunch conversation right there. I can see that right now. How can we vote him out? Um... Acts 28, verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. See, no matter who you share the gospel with, there's going to be some people that believe, and there's going to be some people that don't. And we have to just leave that up to God. He has to work. The pressure is not on us being perfect at sharing the gospel. It is just about living a life, pleasing and honoring to him, worshiping him, yielding to him, living a life of repentance, and then sharing what God has done in us and sharing the truth of the gospel with someone else and say, well, but it, no, that's it. You just do that and let God do what he's going to do in the hearts of people, right? We just need to be obedient. All right, so people refuse to acknowledge God. Number two, people refuse to acknowledge God's authority, People refuse to acknowledge God's authority. So they, they believe in God. They know that God exists, but they just refuse to acknowledge his authority. Where do we see that? Obviously, in Romans chapter 1, very powerful. I'm just going to read this. We won't spend a lot of time on it. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. That's so important. We are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. A couple of things I just want to point out. 
this is true. It's plain, so it's clear. It's been ever since the creation of the world. So no one in history escapes this and have an excuse. Everybody since Adam and Eve, it's been plain to everyone since then, since the very beginning, and we are all without excuse. And we know, but we choose not to submit to his authority. I will tell you this. Every day that we sin, you're refusing to submit to his authority. Now, some of us that don't have, a, have never repented of our sin and never acknowledged that we're sinful and we need a Savior and have not entered into a saving relationship with God, God has not caused us to become a new creation, you're in a, a rebellion and an unrepentant heart that is leading to God's wrath. And so there's... There's two things there going on. So there's the unbeliever that is not at all sensitive or to God's word because he does not believe. He's not regenerate in his heart. But then there's those that are believers that even now, we we always should be asking for God to reveal our sin to us so that we can confess it and repent of it. Now, we want to be careful that we don't go totally legalistic, and, and we can do that so easily in the church, that you don't do this, and you don't do this, and, you, and I don't, I, you know, and then we get that whole thing about the log in your eye and the splinter in someone else's, right? And so we want to be careful of that, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't feel conviction of our sin. In fact, I would argue that we should pray that God will reveal our sin to us. Once again, not out of a way that, well, I want to know that I'm saved, or I want to earn my salvation. You can't do that. It's a loving act. I serve my wife because I love her, not because I feel I'm obligated to or I'm earning her love. I do it because I love her. All right, so some people just refuse to accept God's authority because they want what they want. We've said that many times, right? Why do we do what we do? Because people want what they want, and so we reject the authority of God. Number three, people refuse to admit they're a sinner. I don't know how people can do that, but they do. They just refuse. They think they're good. They, they think because, once again, I think they think they're better than someone else. They think maybe they're not a sinner. And we see this. We talk about it all the time in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And I will just tell you that humanity is wonderful at deceiving ourselves. We, we can deceive ourselves. We justify all sorts of things. We justify our sin. We can, it's so, for some of us, it just rolls off so simple. We can lie without a problem. We just don't think there's anything wrong with it. And, and that's why you should pray for a very sensitive, broken heart before the Lord. And, and may sin be bitter, right? I, I think it was um, Jonathan Owens. I forget who it was. And says, you know, till sin be bitter, grace will not be sweet. Right? But the more you realize that sin is ugly and distasteful and nasty and deadly, grace will be so sweet when you really come to grips with that. So people refuse to acknowledge God. They refuse to acknowledge God's authority, and they refuse to admit they're a sinner. Number four, this is where most of us probably are this morning. People love their sin more than they love God. And I want to, I want to couch this a little bit. I, I know that We're always going to be in sin at some level. That's God's grace is what saves us. And so it's what he holds us and he does the work in us and and brings us to repentance. But the truth is is that when we are wrestling for sanctification and, and we choose to sin, at that moment we're really yielding and wanting what our flesh wants. We're giving in to the flesh and not yielding to the spirit. And so maybe it's a harsh way to say that, but... 
the truth is when we do that, we love our sin. We want to sin more than we want to please God. And maybe that's a better way you think I should put it instead of loving God. Because we can say, well, I love God, but I, I know I did that, but I still love God. Yeah, but at that moment that you did that, you're really saying, no, I want what I want. And so that's the challenge in our hearts. So where do we see this? We see this all the way through Scripture. I'm just going to read a couple passages real quick. Genesis 6, 5 said, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. So this is early after creation, after Adam and Eve fall, right? So that the wickedness, was, was, uh, wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So when Paul says that, we have a sin nature. We see that all the way back in Genesis. Everyone had the sin nature, right? Only by God's grace was Noah and his family spared, right? James chapter 1, verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. I think I said this a couple weeks ago, but I think it bears repeating, is that when some of us are totally clueless about the spiritual world, and we, we don't even acknowledge that things are going on in the spiritual world, which I think is very sad. There's incredible spiritual things happening and spiritual warfare, and, and we should be involved in that. On the other hand, we, the pendulum often swings too far, and then everything around every door is spiritual. Every, there's a demon here. There's, Satan is doing this. Satan is a physical being located one place. I doubt he's probably picking on me. Okay? Are there spiritual things? Yes. But by and large, I would make the argument that most of it that I'm struggling with is my sinful flesh. It's here. I'm dealing with it. Jesus is very clear. Paul is very clear that we are struggling in the flesh because our nature is fallen. I don't need a demon to tempt me. My flesh is doing it every stinking day, right? It's, it's there. It wants me to do this. It wants me to be prideful. It wants me to, to get what I want. It wants me to deny this so I can have that. It's just always in me. And so let's not over-spiritualize it because sometimes I think we over-spiritualize it and then we can say, well, I can't help it because, no, you can help it. God has put the Holy Spirit, as a believer at least, the Holy Spirit is in you and you can say no to sin. But when we love something more than we want to please God, that's the problem. And so we're tempted, yes, and we're lured, yes, and we're enticed, yes, by his own desire, not by a demon, but by his own desire, your desire, my desire. And that's where we need to say no. John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Right? Clear. Our works are evil. That's why we love the darkness. Right? All right. I want to... I'm going to stop there. I wasn't going to. I have more... And you probably have some things on your handout. We'll redo another handout next week because I want to. I want to close with something here, um, and and I'll just kind of we're going to jump to the takeaway, and then I'll revisit this next week. So what's the takeaway this morning? God calls everyone to share the gospel, and you have it there probably on your handout, um, Acts chapter one eight. It says, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Like, we are the thing that God has been gracious to and we're his witness and we're to go to the ends of the earth and tell that story. 
And, and what we're going to look at over the next few weeks is, is this picture of how God is using Jonah to go even to a, a pagan culture to demonstrate his grace and his love for them and his power and his sovereignty to bring them to himself, right? It's really what he's showing here. He has the, the work that he can bring anyone that he wants. And so... I have a question for you. Who has God placed on your heart to share the gospel with? If if we are repentant Christians and and we have this truth and and we can see here in the story that that Jonah has been told to go, I believe that God is telling every one of us to go. We see that in the Great Commission. And and sometimes people say, well, that that passage there says, um, as you go. Okay, I'll agree with that. It's really as you're living your life, go and make disciples, right? Matthew 28. And I would agree with that as we go. But we're going. We, we, we are making disciples. We're teaching people to obey. Isn't that what Jonah was doing? He was going, sharing the gospel, sharing the truth. Obviously, Jesus wasn't known to him in the way he's known to us today. But he goes and he shares the, the glory and the majesty of God and, and sin and the holiness of God. And, and we see that we're going to see as they turned in repentance. So, as we close... The reason I wanted to kind of just skip that, because I don't want to, I want you to see this. This is a young girl. This is what repentance looks like as it begins in the life and the heart of a person. Uh, Trina Goss is going to get baptized next service. I think she's 16. And the reason we preach, the reason we share the good news, is so that people come to repentance. They realize they're a sinner. And God moves in them, and he, he works, and he causes them to become a new creation in Christ. And when that happens, they get baptized, like we talked about a few weeks ago. And they come forward, and they go under the water, signifying that they want to die to that old person. That they want to put that person to death, and they want to be raised with Christ in a new life. And so right now, we're going to take a look at her video testimony. I'm Trinity Goss, and this is my story. So I basically grew up in a home where like the Bible and like church and God, like if you asked me what any of that was and I would have been like, what is any of that? My parents were never around. Um, They were always like in and out of different houses. I moved a couple times, a lot of times actually. I was always like take care of myself and take care of my siblings and just be a mom to them and just show them like what a parent is supposed to be like because we didn't have that. My mom was like using drugs and stuff so we never really had like money for like bills or like food on the table so we would always have to wonder where like our food is coming from and we just weren't like really cared about and most of the time I felt like my feelings didn't matter and like I just didn't matter as a person. Like I think about seven years ago Um, Before my aunt, Stephanie and David got me, um, I would have visitation rights with them. And every weekend we would go over there and um, I would just have to get up on Sunday mornings and go to church. And I was like, do I really have to get up? Like, why? There's no point. Like, I can just stay home and sleep. But it felt like a chore to me because I didn't know, like, what church was about. It was kind of just a get up and go. So I just went because I had to. I started living with them, and I still had to go to church on Sunday mornings, and I still didn't like it. But um, then a couple like weeks of that 
going by of going to church and stuff like that, I had this episode um, of where I would like see things like more of like a when I would go out and like put chickens away or cats. There's this one time that I saw something standing by the the barn and I ran inside and I was bawling my eyes out and I was like, David, David, there's someone out there. And he was like, no, there's not. Just go put them away. So I went back out there and I was shaking and I went back inside. I said, I can't, I can't go over there. That night after that happened, I was scared to go to bed and I was like shaking and stuff like that. So we just, he prayed about it. And I was like, why are we praying? Like, what is the need for that? Like, is God even real? And um, so I think that was definitely God's way of trying to show me to him because I didn't really believe in him or know him. I really like sat in my bed and I was up all night and I was thinking, I was like, you know, not, there's no way that like all like the earth and all these people and everything that can just spawn, like people will say like the big bang, like I, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I don't know why I started thinking about that. Went to church the next Sunday after that and it's, it kind of sounded like Raleigh was like targeting me, like pointing at me, but he was just talking about how, I think it was one of the church um, Sundays where he said something about, he proves to us about um, why we're here and why he chose us. And I, I was like, that just makes so much sense to me. So I went home and I talked about it with Stephanie and David. I was always like feeling like hopeless or like I was always depressed because I never had like no one to go to to talk about my feelings and I never had that release of a weight lifted off my shoulders of telling people my feelings and then I just started talking to God after the conversation with my parents after that Sunday morning and I I felt I felt like it was easier like I felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders so after that, I just started talking to him more. So I just asked him to like open my eyes to him and show me him and then show me the way of life. And after that, um, I just kept going to church. I felt happier to go to church. Like church, it wasn't like a chore for me now. It was like a, I'm so excited to go to church and like hear about it. I started reading the Bible more, and basically I was reading about how like he died for me, and I still think that's crazy to this day that such a sinner like me is saved by him and I'm forgiven for all my sins and um basically he just showed me that like look I died for you like I want you I want you to be my child and he just opened my eyes to him and like what he's done for me just meeting Caleb and like him showing me like he's not like the reason like he pushed me to be stronger in my faith but he's definitely encouraged me a lot like if I'm having a bad day or like I'm worried about something he'll send me a bible verse or like he sends me bible verses in the morning and just shows me like hey he's here for you don't don't stress like don't worry about tomorrow just go on with your day ever since I surrendered my life I feel like every time there's a problem I'm not like upset about it like yeah I might be like a little discouraged from it but like I'm never just going to sit there and dwell on it. I'm like, he's got it. Like, if something's going to happen, it's because it's in his plan. And I'm just a happier person. And I, I just find every way to share the gospel with other people. I want to be baptized because I want to show 
not only my family and not only like God, but I want to show like um, the people of the church that God is the way of life, and I want to show everyone how He changed my life. I want to show a public profession of um, me giving my life to Christ and showing everybody that He is my Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. I don't target anybody, just so you know. (laughs) But the Lord does. And he uses you to target them. Somebody shared the gospel with her. So on the bottom of your page, who are you going to share the gospel with? There's a place there. You can write their name. I know for some of you that are really cool, you didn't pick a program up. But um, you need to be thinking about that. You say, well, I just, I'll just do it. No, you put a name down and you begin to pray for that person. You pray that God will open up a door for you to have the opportunity to share the gospel. Begin to pray. Ask God for that opportunity. See, I think sometimes we don't get the opportunity because you don't want the opportunity. I don't want the opportunity. Because when the opportunity comes, we don't want to do it. And we don't want to do it for all sorts of reasons, which we'll get into. But maybe it's like Jonah. It's like, no, this person, they're really bad. I don't want them to... I don't want them to be forgiven. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's that you're just afraid, right? Maybe you're afraid. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that that was also mixed in here with Jonah. We're not sure. Maybe he was just afraid to go in this nation, this savage nation of the Gentiles in Assyria, and he does it. he's afraid for his life. We don't know. It doesn't say. And, but no one's going to kill you for sharing the gospel with somebody. And, and what could happen is that God will use you to make a new creation of someone else. It's Romans 10. How will they know unless someone tells them? And someone has to be sent. That means you. He's sending you to your family, to your children. He's sending you to your neighbors. He's sending you to your coworkers. He's sending you, not me. He's sending me to mine. So don't think that Brian and I are doing the work and we're the ones going. No, we are equipping the saints for the work of ministry. The work of ministry is sharing the gospel first and foremost. That's you. And you should be excited about that. Yes, I get it. You're scared. Me too. (laughs) Okay? But that's okay. Courage is doing something in the midst of our fear. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called courage. And pray for courage. You don't have to do it right. You don't have to do it perfect. Trust God will work in your words and in their hearts. And that, that, that sowing of seed may not come to bear for 10 years, 15 years. Heck, you may be gone by then. But that doesn't mean that God is not using what you're saying to them to bring them to a saving knowledge of him someday in their life. You saw it here. She was taken to church and she did not want to go. Some of you probably are saying, amen to that. I don't want to be here this morning, right? But at some point, God began to work in her and began to open her eyes and she'd be able to hear the gospel. And she realized she was loved and that God wanted her Put a name down. Be willing to go. 
They need to hear. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for our time together today. Father, forgive us for our stubbornness and our hard hearts. Father, I know that you are patient and long-suffering with us, and I am so grateful. Praise you for that. I pray that you will work in our hearts today. First and foremost, to live a life of repentance, a life of hating our sin. Not because we think it's going to earn us salvation, but because we just want, we love you so much, we don't want that to be part of our life. We want to worship you, and we understand that when we turn away from our sin, it is the greatest act of worship that there could be. Father, if there is someone here today that has not been made a new creation, Father, I pray that you will give them the gift of repentance and faith this morning, and they will turn from their hard heart and their way of sin and they will acknowledge you as Lord and Savior in their life. Father, we pray that you will give us the courage to speak truth. We don't need to be preachers. We just need to be faithful saints sharing the good news of the gospel that you came and lived a sinless life, gave your life up, for us, and then raised from the dead and gave us a righteousness not our own. Mm, what a beautiful thing, Father. We praise you this morning. Help us to be faithful saints as we go from this place. Help us to take the good news to hurting and the lost generation so that you receive glory. Father, we thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.